Power Up team is incredibly inspired and humbled to introduce you to the incredible Mark Stewart. A powerful combination of strategic brilliance, exceptional talent, and a fierce dedication to unlocking the true potential of every single organization he touches. As a super entrepreneur, CEO, and board member, Mark has consistently navigated some of the most complex and challenging landscapes of the business world. But perhaps most inspiring is Mark's ability to lead and motivate teams, drive startups and entrepreneurs to new heights, unlocking their full potential and driving forward to unprecedented heights of success. A strategic thought leader who understands the importance of vision and tactical execution, Mark is the embodiment of the very best of the business world. But Mark's kind of cool, and his coolness doesn't stop there. So tune in to see everything Mark does, his journey, the inspiration behind his businesses, and so much more. Mark, thank you so much for joining the Power Up with Manal podcast. It is such an honor to have you on for many reasons. Oh. One, the breadth and scope and diversity of your experience is just something that many of us can always learn from and grow from. Um, you yourself are just very interesting from, you know, being Mr. Corporate to being Mr. Consultant to running your own businesses to also having your own production company. And we'll get into that a little bit. Sure. <laughs> uh, on top of all that, you 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 stay very busy, productive and doing the things that you want. But at the same time, you know, you're balancing life and family and your passions. And that is something that a lot of us struggle today. Um, in such a fast-paced environment. So um, we are honored to have you here and I am going to pass the baton to you so everyone sort of understands why I'm saying the things I'm saying about your just amazingness. Well, first of all, thank you so much. And it's been such a pleasure to, to get to know you, who you are as a is a business person, but also is a is an incredibly important and and powerful individual person uh, yourself. I have had the opportunity to to be in the right place at the right time multiple times, and I'm a I'm a strategist. That's that's what who I am and and, and what I do. I'll, I'll share with you a little bit about the audiences that I support in building strategy. But I like to say that 39 years ago, I built strategy and I've executed to it perfectly. That would be a fabrication. I started my career at, at Procter & Gamble, and I had the opportunity to be the, the brand manager of Crest Toothpaste. Did a lot of, of consumer promotion. But I, most importantly, Manella, I learned category and brand management from the company that created it, P&G. And I checked those best practices. I still use them today. I did a lot of, of, of consumer promotion with, with Hollywood, with film studios. And that got me noticed by a company by the name of Blockbuster Video. And I joined uh, Blockbuster, chief retail officer, uh, when I was 29. So I was their youngest officer, and uh, I, I managed product acquisition, studio relations, and and I was part of the M&A team. So wow, and, and there at 450 stores, I left right before the Viacom sale uh, at about 5,000 stores. So we were buying, building, acquiring a new store every six to eight hours. It was they talk about internet speed. It was internet speed. But we, we ended up selling and operating and selling the company to to, to Viacom. And uh, I was then placed as the executive vice president and chief marketing and logistics officer by a former blockbuster president to a company in Columbus, Ohio called Cobacker Companies. So 
and the opportunity to, to, to manage this third generation manufacturing business. And very early on in my tenure, the family, it was again, third generation, they really didn't have a passion for the business. They wanted to cash out. They knew that I was on the M&A team at Blockbuster, so they asked me if I would help them package and sell the company. And I, full disclosure, at that point, I never sold anything. I bought <laughs> businesses, I hadn't sold anything. So I said, if you give me a couple of months to build a methodology, and one of the things about me is I, I am a I am a proprietary methodology person. Uh, and right. that methodology ensures that you don't have to rely on luck. You rely on expertise, experience, and the people around you. So they agreed. We ended up, we had a pre-transactional value of $145 million. We sold a company to pay less shoe source out of Topeka for $192 million. And, and indeed, I was able to take that intellectual property, how to sell a company, and I've taken it with me throughout my journey. I then became the executive vice president of a public health company called Easy Corp in Austin, Texas. And uh, then I was recruited to be the chief marketing officer for limits and things. I was actually part of the team that took that company public. So that was 14 years of my life. I was an yeah. entrepreneur of five companies. Again, right place, right time. Right. Where I was there, fastest growing stock in your stock exchange, Linux things, fastest growing stock, just with all of these brilliant people letting me make great learnings and make a lot of mistakes to, to pull up great learnings. But I, what I but I, what I realized was that I I am a non-medicated ADD means OCD professional. I have <laughs> doing a lot of things that simultaneously. So I built a strategy consulting company. So 20 years ago, built a business. 150 companies I've had the opportunity to establish businesses to, to build strategy for and all about $3 billion with a capital acquisition and being on tune of the capital markets is something that I really spent a lot of time with. I've had 80 one-on-one CEO consulting relationships and in my consulting career involved with 50 mergers and acquisitions, either on the buy side or sell side. And starting about seven years ago, Manel, I had the opportunity to work with my first startup business. And since then, I've worked with 75 startups in that uh, seven and a half year or so period of time. And uh, and I, I restructured the company to have the store group, which is a corporate consulting, the C-Suite Collective, which is really our human capital side where we do our one-on-one consulting, and then right. out to the early stage, which is how you and I met, which is an organization devoted to servicing startup entrepreneurs. I love that. I love that so much. What what is that why or that passion that takes you into that start world? Like what what why are you there? So it's a great question. Of those 75 or so companies, 10 of them have been my own, one of which you referenced, which is hydraulic entertainment. One of the things that keeps me balanced is we yeah, I have the consulting business and I also have a company that that creates and distributes rock and roll music and monster movies. So that that Certainly, um, balanced. You know, but I, I, I've, I, I've been a sort of entrepreneur myself, and I understand. But one of the things, and the, the the most important why is I'm a metric driven person as well as being a methodology driven person. And there's a metric that's been involved in around plus thirty years, probably longer, for startup business, and that is seventy five percent, Manel, of all startup businesses fail in the first five to seven years of operation. And I was driven to find out why. What is it right. what, that, that drives failure? What is it that drives success? So I commissioned a, a research company to go out in the marketplace and research statistically significant number of, of startup businesses. Three quarters of them failed, 
25% of were successful. And they then they data dumped for me all of the insight. And I extracted that to build a methodology that now I'm deploying to 75 companies, a couple of my own and in, in, in 60 plus client companies, really with the mission and the core to utilize that best practice expertise and help those companies avoid the pitfalls that create failure and support the pillars that facilitate success. And that's a commitment that I have to entrepreneurs because owners and operators, last year, 2 million businesses were formed. Now, if you do the math, you know how many of those may not succeed in the next three, uh, three to five years. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to, and the, our organization is, and our, our team is committed to helping early stage entrepreneurs get a riot. And, right. and, and because early stage entrepreneurs and startup businesses are the backbone of our country. Right. No, that, that is so true. Now, you know, you, you went out, you did all this research, all the metrics and same here, you know, when I was, I spent the first majority of my career in corporate, large financial institutions. Right. And I almost didn't realize how much my upbringing in such a um, environment was a gift. Like, because the financial discipline and rigor, the understanding of KPIs and KRIs and OKRs, the understanding of putting together, you know, um, rails and infrastructure before you build your house and maybe sometimes balance a both, right? Like all the, I would say, BAU business as usual practices that I grew up with, I didn't realize was not the common mindset when you left that sort of big box financial institution where that was the, you know, rigor. But at the same time, they also don't have the speed, agility, and innovation that, you know, startups do. And so it's almost like, how do you find the right balance? Because you don't want to, you know, siphon innovation because you've overplanned and overmetriced, right? <laughs> so I, I learned I learned very similar lessons and I, I totally get what you're saying there. So important. Aside from all that, what do you see in startup entrepreneurs from just a, you know, when you talk about the humanity aspect and the people aspect, right? Because mindset is everything, right? 75% of our well-being, of our decisions, of how we conduct our day-to-day is driven by our unconscious state. Right. And entrepreneurs almost go into this avoidance mode because they're busy, they're playing multiple hats, they're all over, um, they're having to, you know, juggle fire drills, clients, you know, systems. And it's almost like, I, I feel, and I, maybe this isn't true, but I almost feel like the factor of being overwhelmed and being in their own mind sometimes sort of takes them away from seeing what is of ROI if I hire X many people in order to take this off my plate or, X, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's really probably where we have our greatest entrance point in working with relationships because, uh, and very often that entrepreneur has a full-time job and they have come up with an idea, a product, a good or service, and they want to develop it. And one of the great learnings for Alchemy Early Stage 2023 is that just because someone came from corporate doesn't make them an entrepreneur. Um, 100%. <laughs> very often that's a presumption and, and that's certainly not the case. One of the things, very often we work with with, with entities and, and you, you reference this, the, the, all of the pressures and the, the necessity for rigor. 
And very often, though, that that person or that that small emerging team is focused on the exit before they've built the company. And you may, if you're if you're building a company to sell, and that's predestined, you're just going to make very very different decisions and probably aren't good ones. So one of the things we focus on and we share is build the best company on the planet, and then you're going to have a lot of options relative to what exit strategy to deploy. I have in in the, the second component, which really rides with what you were saying, Manel, is you don't have just a product, a good, or a service. You've got to build a company, a, a good pro, those goods, product, service. It deserves the the structure, the pillars that make every good company a good company. Organizational structure, culture, a vision, a mission, a positioning. An articulation of the value you're trying to bring to whoever you're trying to, to to service or whatever product you're trying to sell. Those core fundamentals are what needs to be focused on so you can define your position in a marketplace and then go to market and, and execute your plan. Yeah, I know that that's that's so well said. And I've heard so many entrepreneurs not believe in that. Right. Or or feel like it is secondary. Like that's ancillary to building a company. And in your experience, that is the core pillar. One of the core pillars in building your company. Remember the, you know, we, we, I have, I think we had a total of two and a half million data points in the research that we did. And the, one of the, the first correlatives to a lack of success is a lack of sensitivity of needing to build a company, not providing good or service. Think about it as a, as a young child and you're not going to put a one-year-old in Manhattan on the street. You're going to make sure you help develop and nurture that child and they grow and they gain experience and they have confidence and then they, they're prepared and they go into the marketplace. Companies, the same thing. You've got that that crucible that of, of what it is that you, your idea, your product, your good, your service. And, and that's, that's the heart, but that's not the soul. The soul is the value you're trying to deliver. The soul is the company culture you're trying to de- de- to deliver. That it's got to be a smart consumer, depending on your good or service, got to be customer consumer first. And it's got to, to, to be committed in building a relationship and adding value to every constituent you have, internal team members, external strategic partners, and most importantly, that, that consumer or customer that you're trying to serve. Yeah, no, that I love that. That's your new tagline. <laughs> put your soul, put the soul back in your company. <laughs> well, 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 one, one of the things that I, and I use this word deliberately, Manel, and that is whether, and we spent a lot of time assisting companies in in building capital raise strategies and ra- raise the capital because a lack of capital, again, talking a correlative of life like success, a lack of access of capital is, is certainly there. And whether it's, when you make your first hire of your of your number one team member, your first team member, whether it's going to the marketplace to look for a, a, a high net worth person to invest, you've got to find people that fall in love with you, fall in love with your better service, and fall in love with what you're trying to do in the in the world, and be right out front with the the communication of those points. And if you find people that fall in love with you and what you're trying to do. They're going to be there for you. They're going to break your back for you, and you're going to break your back for them. Right, right. So if we if we take it back a second, because I I, I heard you talk about you know funding, right? 
and and having the capital. And I don't have the experience you have, and I'm sure you face this a lot. You know, numbers, finances, even till this day, with all that knowledge that we have out there, it's a scary place for a lot of individuals. It's it's to the point where it almost makes um, many people not even pursue their passions or their ideas, right? Um, how do you coach to that? And what would you tell those out there today that, you know, are either at a crossroads where they're like, you know what, I can't continue with this with this company anymore, or those who haven't even started because they just sort of fear that. There's this big, big societal fear that we have, right? Um, mainly because we also fear judgment and we fear failure and we feel what other people will think. Right. Um, so we have a lot of, we got a lot of issues in society, yeah. but generally speaking, <laughs> when it comes to that, it is almost like a hindrance that we're blocking ourselves before we even get out there, you know? Right. And and so I'll, I'll kind of uh, vector into what I share with, with uh, I, I spend probably 80, 80% of my time with startup entrepreneurs that will never become my clients. But I'm I'm just, I'm, help, I'm, I'm evaluating where they are. I'm giving them free pro bono consultation because I like them, like what they're trying to do. They need the assistance. There's five general questions you have to answer when you're seeking capital that any investor is going to have. Now, there's trillions of questions about the product and the service and so forth. But number one, and then it all, one way or another, feeds back to the economic component. Number one is what's the, the size of your of your macro category and how mature is it or isn't it? Is there a ton of upside? Is there is it mature, but it's so large that there's room? Articulate that. Second uh, question you have to answer is how is what you've come up with, your good or service, truly unique and different and will win? What are the win points that you create? Not just an idea, the win points. The third piece is the articulation of why the people you've chosen or identified, whether it's one person or, 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 or 10, why they're uniquely suited as human beings to execute upon your vision. And that's presumptive that say you have a vision. And then the, right. the fourth and fifth are the economic components. And these are the biggest fails, quite frankly, in early right. age entrepreneurs. Number four is what are the base core economics? Five years, gross revenue, expense, net income for five years. And it has to be realistic, simple, right. direct, and realistic. And then the fifth piece, which is the key to all the fundraising, is the articulation of your use of proceeds. Because if you articulate the use of proceeds, then you do two things. You're going to give your audience the comfort that you're going to spend their money in the right places at the right time. But most importantly, the big miss in articulation use of proceeds is you're actually articulating your operating plan. You're telling right. your audience how you're going to win from a business standpoint. And so the focus of those five questions, but importantly, questions four and five, um, that's where I spend a bulk of my time in, in working with early stage entrepreneurs, because then if you have the answers to those two questions, it demystifies that economic component that can be so frightening to people. Yeah, no, that that's so well said. And that is so true. So for those out there that are listening, like, just do it. There's a way. Put your methodology, put your plan. And and I think what a lot of individuals miss is that you don't have to do it alone. Right. You don't have to go out there and like figure out how to get funding. Like there, Mark, you exist and others exist out there that that is your 
sole purpose. And I think we forget that at times that we don't have to do it all, like leverage the resources and expertise out there to help you drive in the right direction because, you know, you are you are leading and leading means ensuring that you are leveraging the right ecosystem to get you to your direction, you know? Well, without question. And, and you know, one of the things that we, when, when we embrace a relationship is not being cavalier and understanding the importance of an early stage business. This is the person's life. It's their family, right. very often their early stage capital. They're, they're, they're predicating the decisions they're making on really directing the rest of their life and their, their family's life. That's really important life stuff. It's really, it's not. Right. And if you treat it just like a business, first of all, you're probably not going to put the energies necessary to drive success. But most importantly, you're forgetting the humanity side, the people side. And that's what we're here to do. And, and delineating and, and shouting the whatever the product is, whether it's chat AI, whether whether hard science or soft science, shouting the humanity of what you're trying to do and who you're trying to to, to support is incredibly important in delineating who you are, what you're trying to do. And the biggest miss in the marketplace is sharing a bit about how you're going to do it. People are very afraid about exposing your IP, giving away their secrets. And that's why that there are there are people in the world that, that, that manage process patenting and process patenting, which I fully encourage. Don't right. give away your IP. But give your audience enough comfort that you have more than an idea, that you have a way that you're going to make success out of your ideation. Mark, when you made the shift from corporate into your own years, when you became an entrepreneur, what are some of the lessons you learned when you made the leap? And is there anything that others could take away from your lessons uh, in your early stages? Number one is name your lane and figure out what that lane is. And and it, it's interesting because we can bucket what we do professionally during the day in a cut, but just a handful of buckets. It's what we have to do that we love, what we have to do that we may not love, but we have to do it, and right. what we're not going to do. We're just not going to do it. Uh, and for me, that would be like accounting as an example. I love this, not like accounting. So na name your lane and be open and comfortable, as comfortable with what you're great at, as, as comfortable as you are at what you aren't great at. But name and pick that lane of what you're, so you have the best access, which is the good or service you're creating is startup business for me, it's consulting. And then the wild access was, was the, the markets that I was going to focus to and the services I was going to provide. And when I started out, it was very, very, very broad. Now, right. after 225 relationships over that consulting period in 40 or 50 different industries, I'm comfortable being agnostic relative to the type of, of co company business, but I'm very, very focused on the type of people and, and, the, and the, the focus of, that or, of those organizations. And, and so I, I, I think that that would be the first one. For me, it was real simple. I took on both strategy and operations when I started. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not great at operations. I, 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 and I don't necessarily like it, but I did it because the world expected it of me. I had done it professionally in the past. And I right. went to the market and I said, hey, I'll do it all. And the reality of it is that, that that's not where my, 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 my strength is, is forged. Um, it, the the uh, and then the, the second 
key learning and speaking as a consultant or as a service provider. What I learned is that the closer I get to a, a company as an operator, the less objectivity I can bring, therefore, the less impact my consulting voice has. So, and it's really, really hard. This is the hardest part of, 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 of what we do as, as, as consultants because you meet people, you care for them, you like them, you, you like their family, they get to know you, you get, and yeah. you want to support them. But as, a, but as a consultant, my number one value is objectivity. Therefore, right. if I lose objectivity by getting too close to operations, then, right. which is an emotional, natural evolution, if I get too close to operations, then I lose the number one impact point that I have, which is objectivity. And that's probably the biggest learning that I still make to this day. Yeah, that's, that's, that's such a good learning. I think, you know, and you said this really well, just know your lane. I think one of my biggest learnings, I just have... There's some people that just are always thinking and have a lot of ideas. And, you know, you get so into like, but I can do it all and I can do this and I can do that and I could run multiple lanes. And I do think, you know, doing a few things really well and maybe having a plan like on when you're going to pivot and add on more things. Like, I think that is more important than just going in all in all the time, right? And some of us have this personality. Like that is one of my flaws, right? I, I'm either extremely extreme, like I have an extremity, or I'm not there. And so, and I had to find sort of that middle, like what was my balance, right? Because, and and I I do feel a lot of entrepreneurs have that personality naturally. Well, and one one of the things that we that we work with with early stage um, business owners and operators is kind of what you have to be and what you can't be. And you can't be omnipresent. You can't have every answer to every question and you don't have to. And so you don't have to fill every role. And most entrepreneurs are really capable business professionals. These men right. and women are, are very, very, very capable. Capable people are asked to do a lot of things because they're capable. And so to be a startup uh, business operator, you know, need to be on the present. You don't need to be an update. You don't have to have every answer. If you have a question from an investor or strategic partner, you don't have, especially in the early, early stage business, pre-revenue business, you don't have the answer. It's okay to say, I'll get back. I want to think about it. It's a great question. I'll get back to you by email tomorrow, by by this time, and, and, and I'll have an answer for it. That's perfectly okay. Right, right. And we have to remind ourselves of that. Uh -huh. You're right. Um. So you're Gosh, Mark, like, see, I was, I told you there's no other word to explain you there. I'm not even going to use amazingness. Okay. Is, is the word of the day. You're very busy. You run multiple lanes. How do you find your inner balance and manage your life, right? Your loved ones, your businesses, like you have a lot going on. And I know many of us can learn from, uh, you know, others doing it because we do struggle. That's why burnout happens. That's why guilt happens, right? Like we either have parents' guilt or spousal guilt, a right word or exists, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, sure. Well, I, I think that the first, and I I've, uh, have uh, my, my wife, Jackie, and I, we eloped after we knew each other for about three weeks. Uh, where oh, wow about to celebrate our 34th wedding anniversary. So, and we have a wonderful 19-year-old daughter, Natalie, who 
attends uh, Richmond University. She's on their swim team. Part of the balancing act that I have is I don't bring a lot of the of the of the the complexity and tension and heavy emotion of my consulting conversations to the dinner table. I I inform and I share the fun, interesting things, but right. I don't download or vet all of the pressure points. Second piece is that that um, I have the privilege of having a couple of different businesses that are very, very unique. The consulting businesses are different flavors of the same same um, ice cream, but I also have hydrology entertainment. So we're producing rock and roll music. We're producing science fiction monster films from the 50s and 60s. Very, 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 very different. I'm not, right. I'm not an artistic person, but I hope that I'm created by solving problems in, 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 with intrigue. I hope that 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 you know working in in that level of diversity is is keeps the balance in play. And the uh, the the other thing that that I that I've the the kind of the last uh, response to your question, I'm in this to learn and to get better and to take that knowledge and transfer it on to the people that I work with and for. And and so I'm and this is a terrible term, but I almost have a hobbyist view of my profession and my career yeah. because I spend an enormous amount of time reading and learning and accessing and researching. I'm a researcher at heart as well. And I, and, and be, be, you know, because of that, because of that commitment of learning continual improvement, that helps me balance the realities and of, 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 of an average, you know, work day is that, that that you we have to make good for our clients, our partners, and, and our business. And the way we're going to do that is continually improve, continually learn, and continually care. Yeah, no, that's that's so well said. I thought this in one of my classes um, where I was like, you know, there's this sort of knowledge spectrum that you have in life, and this knowledge spectrum doesn't stop, doesn't stop at high school or four year degree, masters, whatever the format education that is formal that you consider right your spectrum is your day-to-day it is the people you speak to have you diversified the the type of individuals and mindsets and experiences that are coming your way daily like that's important right right we sort of don't do this in early years or i didn't and i learned a big lesson i'm like wow like i need to have more diversity with who's in my inner circle and the knowledge that i'm getting and even people who don't have the same ideals as me because now i'm looking at things from different perspectives, looking at ways decisions are being made, processes are being thought of, generally just how conflicts are resolved, right? Like that day-to-day learning makes you grow and evolve very differently. I had somebody sort of like on one of my podcasts, it's funny because, you know, sometimes I get a lot of love and sometimes I get, you know, I get the haters. I get the haters. Uh, I won't believe it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I had this really interesting one. And um, uh, I don't know, he or she went on about, uh, you know, the podcast. And then at the end, they're like, and who the app has time to read like that? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I actually love the comment. And I was like, you know what? That's very interesting because I don't sit and read. Like, I don't sit for hours right. and read. If I do, I take them in micro doses. For me, if I do, let's say I commit to 10 minutes every other day, well, over time, that compounds to so many minutes in a month compared to me trying to figure out 
where's a good three to four hour time I can just get away and read something. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's constant knowledge and I'm reading multiple things. Right. And so I think I think there's this notion that if you're going to be an expert at something, you sort of have to get away and do it. But we forget micro habits and micro doses and compounding um, doesn't just exist in, you know, investments. It's also, you know, how our mind works. Sure. Without, yeah, without, without question. And, and, you know, it falls back to that rigor and discipline and, and necessity for balance. And that's probably, you know, it's speaking about being a, a, a providing objectivity to a, to a, a whether it's a client or a person you work with or, or a business partner or, or, or a, a personal partner, um, you know, what, what are the, 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 the challenges in, inherent within that is the delineation between commitment, care, and duty. And, oh, yeah. and, and, um, you know, if you're duty bound, you want to help no matter what, uh, you, if you have care, you want to support it, and, but you also need to, you know, maintain the, the 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 realistic balance for that as all as well. And that's why even a company, Manel, of one person, has to have a vision, a long term overreaching goal. It may take a while to get there, but you articulate how you possibly impact the people's lives along the journey. Even if you're a company of one, you have to have a mission. What's that plan of attack of what you're going to deploy in order to fulfill your vision? You have to have a, a company one needs to have a, an articulated value, core value set, as well as an articulatable culture set. Company one. Right. Because company ones for some companies of twos and twenties and fifties. And and again, go hard getting back to those the, the, that core DNA of what makes a great company a great company, even a company of one. It's having a commitment to those building blocks, those foundation points of what makes a good company, vision, mission, positioning value culture they sound like i'm on a commercial for something i don't know what a commercial you are you do <laughs> you do so let me ask you this you know when we do do that right when we build the building blocks and we sort of put down our vision mission uh you know we have our goals set in place the hardest piece is accepting when we don't actually achieve or when we are failing or when we are feeling like we're failing how does one uh, be okay diverting or calling an audible and pivoting from the core foundation they put? Maybe it wasn't the right foundation. doesn't always have to be right, right? The first time. How do we get ourselves to be okay with that? Because, you know, I kind of make this joke, but as we, as we are boasting about, you know, transforming into agile technologies, it's really our mind that needs to be agile. Right. And, 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 so there's, and it's a really, really important point that you make. And there's kind of two sides to it. One of which is that when do you pivot point? The other is when do you take advantage of, of opportunity versus staying true to the school of your original vision? You've got, right. And that, 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 that second half is probably top five biggest challenges for an early stage entrepreneur because they have a something, whatever that something is, good or service item product, and they and they're qualified and they start to get interest and maybe their vertical is childcare, but someone in 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 the graying of America category said, why don't you reapply it to a different different sector? And 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 both sides of that coin are really delineated by I think the same position point, and that is it's okay to pivot if you 
have validated that those core foundation points are in place and accurate. We, you could have misjudged a market. You could have misjudged a price. Right. That's okay. Um, but validate it. And, you know, the whole idea about a vision and mission is probably the most misused, misunderstood words in business today. When you go on a website and 90% of the visions are missions and the missions are missions. Um, and because people go through the motion rather than go through the rigor and commitment of building it with the right building blocks. Uh, right. But uh, the, the if you've had the ability to validate, especially with an outside objective point of view, um, and if you've if you've validated that you that that you're off the mark, then you need and should pivot. But with the same rigor and discipline that you built the first positioning for, the hardest part. But I continue to say, more than not, is turn your back on exploitation and focus your what your original core lane was. What focus yeah. that validate it and focus to it. If you need to change, change to the right or left. Don't go into fifty-five different exits. And and even right. though you might have something that's that, that, that that's a, a great opportunity, your your core vision was either right on or it wasn't. If it's not, then 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 vector. If if it's right on, then stay true to that mission. And I think that the the key hit the key here is it's okay to do so. Right. Like analyze objectively and do what's right like at the end of the day there is i mean in my opinion there's no such thing as failing you're always falling forward I, yeah i i kind of there, there was a a term that was popular pre-pandemic that lost a little steam but the mentality is there and that that's design thinking and i apply a format of design thinking when we build corporate and business strategy and uh, and new company strategy and that is because a lot of entrepreneurs, because they're capable and smart and really good, they also tend to be perfectionists, as you uh, alluded to earlier in, in, in our conversation today. And my advice is build out your good or service product or, 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 or offering to about 80%, 80 to 90%. Go to the market, whatever that means, deploy, learn access set from those learning points and failure points and reapply to continually evolve and improve. And because you can, you know, perfection doesn't exist um, other than perhaps your podcasts. Um, but, <laughs> but perfection, again, back to that omnipotent, omnipresent thing, you know, it's unrealistic in early stage business to worry about perfection. Get down yeah. to your 90%, deploy, learn, deploy with the idea of being committed to accessing key insight and intelligence and then yes. applying it onto your business to, to evolve and, and improve. Yeah. You know, the biggest lesson here is we need to stop being so emotionally hijacked as a society. It's okay. This design thinking, the objectivity, the, you know, seeing clearly all sort of constitute to having sort of poise and an even keel sort of emotional state because that's when we sort of lose all that. That's when we derail, right? right. And um, I like the way you put it, that it kind of helps put things in perspective. Um, Mark, have you, from everybody that you consult with today, and there are many uh, entrepreneurs today come 
the diversity of entrepreneurs is just amazing these days, right? Unbelievable. Uh, from, from young to, you know, different um, ethnicities to different uh, stages in life and career, right? Like it, it, there's so much more opportunity in our information and digital age. And so there are more individuals taking risk. I think post-pandemic, I think during the pandemic, I don't even, I don't remember the percentage, but it was like in the multi-hundreds uh, increase of female entrepreneurs right. that, you know, came to the pandemic. Um, what are some things maybe that you learned that you don't have in your practice or, you know, don't consult on that you're like, wow, I didn't think about it, you know, or didn't think about it that way. Is there anything that they have taught you? Um, well, the, the, uh, it's really the, the reinforcement to those, the, 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 the same building blocks and core commitment points that I try to build with my clients is I have to ensure and validate that they're present in, in our company as well. And um, I have the I, myself and my COO, uh, Joe Palalan uh, and, and um, Keanu Palalan, our, our director of, of market intelligence, uh, we, we uh, just completed a, a, a consulting, uh, three consulting projects with student-owned businesses at the University of Tampa School of Innovation. And we're in, we ended up gifting uh, a, a three consulting packages to, we had a, a competition we gifted to, to, to three different um, businesses. We're gonna do it, do it again in, in the fall. We're evaluating a couple of other colleges to support as well. Uh, and and we, we manage and treat these student-owned businesses like they are, because they are, a, a going legitimate business. I love this. And one of the and I will tell you that what I learned and pulled and extracted from three companies: Coloranti, Identify, and iPaint, and the the the, the team of of people that that created and and are operating them. Unbelievably smart, committed, caring men and women that are within those companies. But they, but consistent with them is a a a, 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 a a an internal commitment to themselves and their team, small emerging team, in doing what's right for the team member, for the company team member, doing what's right for who they're trying to service, and that that focus to to do, to doing the right thing for who you're trying to service has been pure reinvigoration for me it's a it's been a a teaching that i that i that i pulled from this experience that i am committed to to redeploy with everyone that we work with and we can't wait for the fall semester to come up and work with another company at, at university of tampa but at learning and, and being reinforced by emerging early early stage first time in college or freshly graduated college students and having and seeing this consistency of entrepreneurial spirit and this focus of doing the right thing for who your audience and target is has been unbelievably invigorating and, re and rejuvenating for me as a as a as a uh, a business professional and service provider. So I, I walked away from from that that first series of relationships feeling like we're a better company because of it. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's so heartwarming. Um, you know, you are, you know, I, I've always seen Mark Stewart in the phase of you right now. Um, aside from, you know, uh, hydraulic entertainment, 
Is there something about you that most people are surprised to find out? Um, I, I have seen, I am a geek when it comes to science fiction movies from the ship. So there's a couple of them that are, are watching as a kid, uh, and why I got into the business of blockbuster, why hydraulic entertainment, but there's a movie out there called the blob and it happened to be filmed about 15 minutes from me in, in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania at the colonial theater. I've watched the movie over a hundred times. Um, I've been a host at the, every year they have a, a three-day event called the Blob Fest where they reenact scenes and they play movies, um, science fiction movies. I've had the opportunity to to, to co-host um, two Blob Fests and, uh, and screen fill our, our films there and, and, and talk to the audience and share the audience. And, uh, and, and, and that that's kind of um, contrary to my corporate and business and consulting world is um having that 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 side of me that just loves loves the the the, the getaway factor of really fun films especially sci-fi and 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 fantasy and our commitment now i'm working with a company schaefer studios out of out of utah building a, a new kind of big bigger film um 1950s monster movie type of film and and we were told we were talking about our commitment in entertainment, and that is, you've got to put a smile. We everything we build, we build for repeat viewers, and we don't right. want people to watch a movie once. We want them to watch it multiple times because they 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 enjoy it so much. And we have a commitment to put a smile on people's face. We we have a commitment not to just make movie or make music, but to only, but really add value. And and a lot of the people that listen to our music, watch our films, they're collectors. I used to be the CEO of the Collecting Channel um, back back in 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 my uh, post-corporate days. And you know, a, a lot of our a lot of our fans are what I call they're you know, people that like to we, we sell a lot more Blu-rays than than digital because people like to put it on the shelf. They like to touch it. They like to have oh. more than one of them. And so that that commitment to bringing joy entertainment is critically important in our highly complex confusing, concerning world, entertainment could put a smile on the face of someone and take them away from for a while and give them a little bit of, of, of enjoyment. And the realization of how important that is in life is what drives our commitment to, to put out quality work. Wow. So maybe, maybe I am the work that is cut out for you right now because I will say this. I am, I'm okay being vulnerable. I don't think I've watched a TV show or a movie like 12, maybe 15 years. I did after, after our podcast, I will send you a link. You'll sit down, you'll watch the movie and you'll have a ball. Okay. There we go. Done. Done. Um, Mark, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Um, I, we will link everywhere um, below in the show notes, how to reach you about your company um, and how you can be of value to somebody out there that may need a, um, a little bit of motivation strategy and drive a push forward. Um, we have so much out there today from entrepreneurs to products to just innovation. That's just amazing. And, um, Thank you for being on the show. Are there any parting words you have for our audience? Well, first of all, I really appreciate you and, and what you do and, and and why you do it. And it's really, really important. And you do a, a, just a fantastic job. And it, it's 
possible to fake sincerity and you are an overtly caring and sincere person, not to mention a overtly smart cookie, um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're here to help. So if any, if we can help in a 30-minute conversation or a two-year relationship, if we're here to help. So if anyone is at a point where they're feeling that mystery and they need to help to demystify, if they're if they they're running into a, a wall and they just need a 30-minute objective conversation, we're here to help. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. On each episode, we will continue to bring on successful, dynamic individuals to dig deep and share stories that will inspire you to power up your life. This show is packed with unrivaled storytelling and no reservation advice. Tune in now by searching Power Up with Manal wherever podcasts are found. Please show us just a little bit of love by leaving a review and hitting that subscribe button. This helps our small production get reach and voices heard globally. Let's power up together, baby.